Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Today we're going to get going with what I think is a really interesting question and one that really goes to the heart of a lot of what you two talk about, Kathy and Ross, on this podcast. And we've had some comments uh, and a listener email, at least one, addressing this. And why, why don't you go ahead and, and introduce what we're talking about to begin with today? Okay, the, the question really is, who are we to tell you what to say? Do we can we tell you what to say? And then someone commented that you all seem to talk a lot about what to say, but don't give us definite rules. So basically, it's sort of a mishmash. What's going on here? Who are we to talk about this? And what are we talking about? And why are we talking about it? And are there rules? So a little bit of that Admiral Stockdale, who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I forgot about him, but yes. I, I should be wearing a uniform. <laughs> but yeah, because I mean, the problem is, is is a lot of people question that. I mean, I think you've heard about like the fight in, in language between prescriptivists and... Um, Descriptivist. And and I think that, that Ross and I talk about this a lot just in conversation. The more uh, that we wrote and learned about words... The more less the less inclined we were to be the grammar police in quotes, um, which we kind of started as a little bit, I'd say, especially when I was a kid, I certainly was. But at the same time, we do see the necessity for certain rules, and then the question comes in: is like, where do these rules come from? How do they come? And it's interesting because English, unlike French, for example, doesn't have a an academy of English. French France has the Académie Française. Forty people called the Immortals publish a dictionary and they decide what is French and what is not French. English doesn't have that. English has sort of a kind of fly as you go. I mean, sort of go as you as you can. We could have meld into various words, go into this is correct, this isn't correct. And that's why there's a lot of discussion in English, more so than maybe than in French, because there's no one telling us what to say and what's correct. We have to decide as a group. If I want to interject, though, what interests me with that, Ross, what you're just saying, though, is yet in France, I, I know how the board always issues those things because they're trying to keep English out of the language, right? To some but degree, then remember yeah. how you always see these articles and they're trying to do that and everybody's still using, like, le computer instead of whatever it's supposed to be, right? Well, or the, the interesting thing with French, I, mean, I guess this is sort of a tangent, though, is that to some degree they're successful, to some degree they're not, the French Academy. A computer is mm. still pretty much, I mean, is pretty much ordinateur and not computer. But email, uh, the French Academy said it has, should be courriel. But I noticed that mm. courriel is, a, is all over the place in official documents. But if you go to Paris, you know, and you write an email, des emails, mm. you do. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a bifurcation there. That officially, sometimes it works. Other times it works completely. But it's more of a mix. But we don't have anything like that in English. Nothing. We have to figure out what's right. And that's why we're always babbling about it. And English kind of works on a consensus, really. Don't you think? I mean, there's sort of a consensus. This is correct and this isn't correct. Absolutely. Well, I think what it is is you're, you're, you're really talking about norms. Language norms is how I would put it. Like, and it becomes, they become rules qua rules. But, but you're right. There's no one from on high saying this is it. Although, this is where I go back to my grammar police comment. 
is you have a ton of people who call, you know, who impose their own thing. And how many times have we talked about the people like George Gross, the, the, the grammarists in the past, who came up with rules and imposed them and people follow them now. But, but again, they're not really hard and fast. It's all a matter of norms. It's like, what do we accept as, as correct? as opposed to what are we told is correct, right? Oh, completely. And that's why it really interests us when people say, why aren't you talking about the rules? Because there are no the rules. That, like Kathy said, there's become sort of a norm and things change over time as well. I do think though, I mean, for example, the subjunctive in English, there's technically a subjunctive, uh, there's subjunctive verbs in English. Subjunctives are when you use, when you have something, you wish something, you suppose something. I still use a subjunctive. I would go there if I were younger, I would say. Do you guys say that, or do you guys mm. say, I'd go there if I was younger? No, I, I still say were, yeah. I do, too. I say were, too, yeah. I say were, too, but nowadays, most people say was. I would go if I was younger. I hear it. I heard it last night on, on TV. I hear it all the time in, in you know, situation comedies or whatever. Although there's one, actually, that's interesting. If I were you, we all say. We all say the subjunctive. I disagree. I've heard I've, if I was you. You have? Haven't I? Yeah, you have. You have. You <laughs> I, have. I think I have, yeah. yeah. The thing that gets me is um, the whole concept of, uh, I was thinking of this the other day. This is, this is tangential because it's not really a rule against it. But instead of saying I have to, I have to go there, I say I've got to go there. And there's no reason to say I have got to go. You say I've got... <laughs> Isn't that true? Do you say I have to go or I've got to go? Uh, but both. It depends on how casual I'm being with my speech, which is true of a lot of this. You know, you you speak differently depending on where you are and who you're talking to. Precisely. Have got to tends to be more informal. That That's another point with, again, we go back to grammar, though. English has, I guess what you would call, I think David Crystal, the linguist in England, calls them registers of speech. And we have different we have different rules for different kinds of English. Different times we're talking in English We have with different people. We have formal English. We have casual English, etc. And there again, even their rules somewhat change or consensus about rules somewhat changes. So I think we're kind of saying we have to kind of like, that's why we're always babbling about words because we got to sort of figure out, all of us have to sort of bumble together and figure out what, what works and what doesn't work. And I mean, and we do need rules to some, I mean, like we, we, when we were talking about the word syntax the other day and we read that sentence, I don't even remember what it was that, that sounded ludicrous, but actually kind of worked, but it doesn't. We go back to what we keep saying. I think that all three of us have said it one time or another. The key is communication. Do you, so you do need some sort of set of, of, of guidelines. You do. Otherwise, you, you, you can't speak. You can't communicate. But you, I take exception with the people that go, ah, don't split your infinitive or ah, don't like end your sentence with a preposition. Because as we know, these quote rules, unquote, are kind of bogus. They were imposed. Yeah, not just kind of. They were they were. Yeah, made they're up. totally bogus. Yeah, exactly. Also, I want to say there's no real danger of the English language becoming the Wild West. It, we, we have those rules, but just about everybody you know obviously there are there are plenty of people who are exceptions but in terms of percentage of people speaking english just about all of us can't name the rules for every single sentence that we say exactly i certainly can't but but we know what we're doing we are communicating there's no real danger of everything becoming chaos well i mean i imagine if we just all decided to speak as we as we will whatever there would be but there are and there are there are grammar books that that explain to us the, the rules that we generally 
feel the consensus feels are rules. Right, but I, I'm I'm saying I we we wouldn't we I don't think we could just all of a sudden all decide to speak as we would. We've internalized all of these rules so much without even knowing necessarily that they're rules. Just just by way of acquiring the language. And so mm -hmm. we're going to communicate in a way that other people are basically able to understand if we're speaking English. We might not exactly. all use, we might not all use the same words and we might make judgments about people based on how they sound to us, but we're going to be able to understand them at least. Precisely. Right. Well, that's where we go back to standard and non-standard. I mean, we've talked about that a few times like how how uh, a, a dictionary will have quote non-standard defi definition of something that's non-standard. Like we go to the literally figuratively because it's been used as such that's a non-standard use but it is an understood use as such still the non-standard and they're even legitimate. the non-standard or different standards there are rules that we probably as Fletcher was talking about unconsciously follow yeah and it goes to a wonderful thing which is that we have a living language and it goes off in all sorts of different directions mm -hmm. and again we get back to place and time and the whole notion of standard versus non-standard because when it's stand like the, using the vernacular, whether it's a Southern, you know, uh, uh, person or, I mean, uh, city people versus, I mean, I've used words. We, we did that that one time with regional differences, a shopping cart versus a buggy type of thing. And, and, and then when you have the standard, which is sort of, in effect, the BBC, if, if, if to use a British example, where, where we just all like use the proper thing. And then, but then when we're in our own element, we use our non-standard way to communicate with those in our same group precisely which is like jargon business jargon we talked about no exactly a lot of times that non-standard goes into uh, changes and be, it becomes standard actually as language changes as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so why do we talk about what we talk about well the, the name of your book is you're saying it wrong as is the name of this podcast which is named after that book and so to begin with, it was sort of talking about words that maybe we mispronounce or words that we misuse. And of course, we've gone off in a lot of different directions. And something that I think we're doing, whether uh, probably just naturally over the course of the years of doing this podcast, that's happened to me is that I've gotten a lot more relaxed in how I treat differences in language, differences mm -hmm. in, in the way people say things. I am not as... Um, uptight about it. I'm certainly not nearly as pedantic as I used to be about all of these things. And it's because I've learned through the course of all of this that those quote unquote rules are mostly made up. Or if they're not, they just aren't that big a deal when you're talking to people. Very well put. I, I think I completely concur. And I, I'm sure Ross does as well. It's it's true. The more the more you learn, the more fluid you become, actually. I think the more accepting you become. I think people make the mistake, for example, with dictionaries. It's a pet peeve of mine and assume if it's in the dictionary, it's right. That's the right thing. You know what I mean? The dictionary is the end all and be all. Dictionaries are, are, are actually descriptive. They're, they're describing what, what is being used. They're not necessarily saying this is, this is it, you know? It's, it's, it's how it's being used now. It's a snapshot. But, I mean, that said, though, I'm going to kind of go backtrack a little bit. I, I, we've all become much more liberal with, with words. But, again, though, we are in... The consensus, I think, I think there is right now a perhaps generally more correct way of doing things, and we all agree on that. And that's what I think is, is what we're trying to get at here. Language changes, and I think we have to be aware of the changes, and we have to be very open and, open and welcoming to the changes. 
but we also have to communicate clearly. And in that case, I do think like we're going to go on like with different words right now. And is this right or wrong, Fletcher? And there are words that are incorrectly used, and it's better to use them correctly than not correctly, particularly if you're writing a speech or, or doing a resume. I think, Kathy, you and Fletcher would agree with that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, and I, I hope that no one gets the wrong idea again, um, that I was saying there are no rules or there shouldn't be any rules. Certainly, there are commonly accepted rules that we ought to follow in order to be able to communicate with each other clearly. Uh, what I was saying, of course, is that they aren't as hard and fast as a lot of people seem to think they are. And when you really, really dig in and think about it, a lot of them aren't as necessary as people seem to think they are. Completely agree. Exactly. Here, here. But again, to go, we're going to go back into some words right now. And there, these are what we call confusables. And these are words that have different definitions. And I would suggest with the bulk of these confusables to be pretty much aware of the differences. Don't you agree, Kathy, on this? Yes, I do. Well, that's what we got. I mean, there, there are, yeah, it's like there are rules and there are rules and there is right, there is right and wrong. You can't just say, I mean, I can't walk around and point to like my earring and say, you know, this is my drawer. You know, I can't. I mean, I could, but you guys would not know why am I saying I'm going to put a drawer in my ear. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what we've been talking about a lot here is construction of language, not ex not exactly so much with definitions, because with definitions, there's there uh, a lot more right and wrong than than what we've been <laughs> I talking think so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but let's do it. Let's get into it. I think we're we're uh, picking back up with the letter O as in our trip through the alphabet here. OK, this is I'm going to read something and you find fi find the mistake, Fletcher. This is a professor uh, was commenting, a professor at a, a pretty good college was commenting about coursework. It was on their wiki. There are a number of works that might help you develop your take on the myth. Apologies for obviating the obvious. Okay. Uh, I was under the impression that obviate meant something like to make obsolete. Wow. Very good. To do away with or to render unnecessary. Ren yeah, that's it. Render unnecessary. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. A lot of people uh, have the mistake, they hear ob and they think obvious, and they assume that obviate is make obvious, Yeah, um, which is clearly not. It's uh, They come from the same root, don't they, Ross? You're the, the Latin uh, expert. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. It actually comes from Latin ob, which means in front of. And it's sort of interesting because uh, the via or via in Latin, V-I-A, is way or road. So it's basically in front of the road. It basically oh. kind of blocks the road or something, which I thought was sort of interesting. Or then you try to get it out of the way of the road. So they both come from obvious and obviate come from the exact same roots, ob and we up. You usually, though, see obviate. You don't really usually see obviate except for when you say obviate the need. That's like the that's the standard time you see obviate. Otherwise, do you really do either of you see obviate without obviate the need? No, and I, I don't think I, I don't, have. I don't really even see obviate the need that much. I just don't see the word used that often. I don't think I ever use. The it's word. a fun word though. I like obviate. Listen to it. I, I've always kind of liked it, and I think that's why it's stuck in my head, more or less, what it meant. And and I can certainly understand people misunderstanding the word and thinking that it means to make obvious. I mean, it looks like it. Mm -hmm. But as oh, one thing I wanted to say quickly here, Fletcher does not get these words. Ahead. This is not like uh, Antique Roadshow where they actually rehearse it. Every time we do these <laughs> words, Fletcher has never seen them. So. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That This is the first time I've, I've heard uh, any of these is, is 
I mean, not in my life. I mean, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> did I obviate that? Um, no, I, but yeah. Uh, th- thanks for giving me the credit. Ross. I appreciate that. Okay, the next word. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna read now the Motley Fool that we found three weeks ago, and Fletcher's gonna tell us exactly why it's wrong, and then go into a little lecture on it. Right, Fletcher? Let's go. Most high-flying growth stocks have been on a painful descent over the past three years, uh, three months. This could be an opportunistic time to pick up great companies at great prices. Oh, I mean, obviously, we're, we're talking about opportunistic. Um, I'm trying to think about what a better word or what, what, what the right word maybe in that circumstance would be. I mean, you could just say this would be an opportunity. One who, if you're being opportunistic, doesn't mean doesn't that mean you would be taking advantage of the situation? I'm not exactly sure. I, it doesn't really seem like it works in that sentence, but I'm not sure it's super far off. It's debatable. I'm going to give you another one. This is from a church. It's a great and opportunistic time to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, that sounds, yeah, I mean, when, when you're being opportunistic, that doesn't give me, uh, it gives me a little bit of a, bad feeling yes. again like you're maybe you're taking advantage of the situation exactly that's exactly it i'm going to give you other words that we found most used with opportunistic opportunistic and then we can guess the meaning opportunistic infections opportunistic pathogens opportunistic bankers uh opportunistic slime balls <laughs> again none of which are good <laughs> yeah that's the key with opportunistic it's it is taking advantage of circumstances but there's no regards to ethics and that's the key and that's where you get the negative implication from opportunistic so it doesn't it's not it doesn't it's it's exactly your your the slime balls actually really sums it up i think the best so you don't really want to use it as this is an opportunity the word would be, the best word to use there would be opportune. And that's what I think a lot of people miss these days. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Opportunistic actually came uh, via the Italian, which is sort of interesting. And they used it, uh, it was, it. I mean, it, it, it had earlier meanings sort of like opportune, but then Italians in the 1870s used it to, uh, to refer to political parties which would take advantage of circumstances not caring as Kathy said about the morality of the thing and then it became a sort of a political word and then it became a general word meaning essentially a slime ball way of doing things <laughs> moving on this was a sign at a military base on an NCIS episode Marine Corps Quantico Explosive Ordnance Disposal did they spell it ordinance? Yes. Of, yes, they did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I do know the difference. Yeah, or, ordinance shouldn't have an I in it, right? The 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 um. What do I what do I want to say? Artillery. Yes. The thing that shocked us though is when we looked online, is there's ordinance versus ordinance is is all over the place. I mean, we kept finding news articles talking about the explosive ordinance disposal. And um, that's obviously not right. As you said, it should be ordinance, no I. The interesting thing is, to be fair to people who confuse them, as usual, they both come from the same Latin root. And, and basically the idea is to put things into order, which makes sense. In one case, you're putting explosives in order. In the other case, you're putting city rules and regulations in order. So that's one of those words, though, I would, like, I would think I would try to be pretty careful about making distinctions on because that's just the case actually when you could get into some trouble too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, now it's not that surprising to me that you saw it on NCIS, uh, but I do wonder 
how often that mistake would really be made on a military base or um, amongst people who actually knew what the word meant. I don't think outside of the military there are a ton of people who are going to know that there is a word ordinance that isn't the same as ordinance. That's a good point. That is a good point. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever used, I've never, I, it's rare that I talk about ordinance if I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 me too. <laughs> I, I don't have explosive devices lying around. The thing that got me though was when we looked it up is, I don't know, there's a fair amount of um, incorrect, the opposite way. And you see things like small towns talking about town ordinance, oh, you no. know, and, and explosive dogs and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> dog <laughs> ordinance. <laughs> Although speaking, which is also good to get into like the definitions in different militaries too. I was surprised, but in I always heard ordinance on U.S. on military bases when I was younger. I, I heard it as explosives, but in the U.K. it's used for all types of military supply. So you could have, I mean, you know, you could like like light a cigarette in a military UK ordinance area and not worry about it maybe in the case of the US you mean like they're just getting rid of old computers or yeah. something like yeah. not <laughs> yeah ah I didn't know that yeah no it's, a, it's an interesting definitional problem speaking not to perpetuate things we're going to move on to peas okay I'm going to read to you MSNBC and in the interest of being very fair Kathy will read to you CNN Okay, NMSNBC, not to put a too fine a point on this, these all came very recently, but the GS, GOP-led Senate uh, Homeland Security Panel made every effort to perpetuate a fraud yesterday. Catherine? CNN, Republicans have to choose today. They have to choose about their future. No man can, no one man can perpetuate a fraud and can perpetuate a lie, not even the President of the United States. <laughs> to be fair to them... It is an ongoing thing, right? Whoa! Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you're being very kind. I, I think what they meant was perpetrate. You're yes. right. Yeah. It's perpetrator, particularly with that that phrase, that idiom is perpetrate a fraud. You're exactly correct. Perpetrate comes from two Latin words, uh, per completely and patrare to carry out, and it nowadays has sort of a negative connotation. Perpetuate means unbroken expanse continuing throughout as you guessed correctly but this is very clearly a problem if i mean you saw it on two major news networks well i think in fairness though as you said yes we it, they're so close but sometimes i think the problem is if it is ongoing you could argue sometimes that even if it's wrong it could kind of be right do you know what i mean i mean i think it's wrong in these instances yeah but I, you could theoretically argue that you're perpetuating it a lie you're repeating the lie the lie is ongoing yeah absolutely but i think that's kind of backing into being correct you know i i yeah. don't think that's what they meant when they said that no no, and particularly with the, the one that Kathy read, no man, one man can perpetuate a fraud and can perpetuate a lie. It seems clear in this case they really meant perpetrate. I mean, the other one you could maybe make an argument, but no one man, I mean, of course a man can keep a fraud going. I don't know. I don't know. I think. It's, yeah, it's called, the, it's called a long con, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Capper? Um, this is, um, I'm just, I'm actually going to, this is a tough one to, to use the sentence. I'm going to just do one from a former center chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff um, during a news show. 
He said, there's been a considerable amount of press on deconflicting the U.S. and Russia, and I think that will continue, even though Russia has called it off, per se. And then I'm going to also use then the South Park vampire, Mike Mikowski, who said, I'm a slumber, per se. Yeah, uh, let me think for just a second. I've never really totally been 100% sure what per se means or when you should use it, so I'm going to take a dive on this one. I, I don't really know what they want to be saying or what they ought to be saying. Well, I think you're actually right by saying that you're just going to take the dive on it. Because <laughs> the problem is, is people just chuck per se in just sort of as a way to fill in gaps or to sound smart, I think. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean anything in the sentences they're using. There's nothing to say in there its place, Ross. Well, I mean, what does per se mean technically? Technically, it's Latin per, by, and through, say itself. So it means in and of itself. We, Kathy and I found a great definition uh, in the Oxford English Dictionary, or a great usage, which really tells you what it says. A pigsty in a city is per se a nuisance. In and of itself, it's a problem. You can't argue with that. But I think what, what Kathy and I are talking about now, though, is people are sort of chucking it in willy-nilly anywhere. And just saying, I think it sounds cool because it's Latin is when they say it. I'm trying to figure out what people are thinking they're saying in its use. I mean, actual, you know, because they're clearly not saying in it, in and of itself. Let's, 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 let's read, I'm going to read that sentence again. Let's just sort of analyze. Let's pick it apart. I think that will continue even though Russia has called it off per se. I think they mean actually. Or maybe um, since he thinks it will continue, Russia maybe ha has... They say they've called it off, but they haven't actually? That's what I was just thinking. Sort of like quotation marks around it. Sort of like has called it off. Ooh. Like sarcastic almost. I think you guys are right. Uh, that sounds really good to me. Mm -hmm. Whatever, it doesn't mean what he thinks it means in this case. No, it doesn't. I, but I think it's wink, wink. Yeah. You know, like, uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's what it is. You're right. Speaking of when Fletcher said say in that word, that's something else we've seen a lot of now. We've seen per se written as P-E-R, the new word S-A-Y. Mm -hmm. That's very common at this point, too. Here's an interesting thing, though. Here's, here's a misuse, misspelling of the word, but I think they're actually using it correctly. Tell me if it is. This is from the American Enterprise Institute. These agencies were dominated by engineers, practical people whose goal was not science per se, misspelled as S-A-Y, but to find ways to put new technologies into the hands of soldiers. In that case... That's correct usage. It's correct right. usage and That's misspelled. Correct. Spelled wrong, but correct. Yeah. <laughs> See, but now, going back to the no rules, but there are rules, couldn't you argue that it should be spelled S-A-Y? I mean, why not? <laughs> we know what it means. No, but that's a, that's a case where I think we should definitely spell it correctly. I think because we don't know what it means as per se. A lot of people don't. We can go yeah, to a no, dictionary. I and I mean, I know you're kidding, but I mean, that, I think that's a really good point in the joke because we can go to a dictionary and look up per se and we can see what it means. Misspelling, I, I think we should try to, we should seek to spell correctly. And I'd say that as a very bad speller who loves spell check. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You brought up another really great point, which is that dictionaries are often handy for actually finding out the definitions of words and not just for looking up words that you don't think should exist and getting mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> like that. 
Oh, one thing I do have to throw in, I think we've mentioned it in the past, but I just love this little factoid, so I'm throwing it in again. We've mentioned this, haven't we, that the word ampersand, you know, the and sign came from, uh, was spawned by per se. Oh, yeah, and, and per se and. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I always love that. I do, too. Okay, here's our final trick question. This is from Honest Reporting Blog. Alistair Cook, a former British intelligence officer, Let me just, I'd like you to listen to this carefully, okay, Fletcher? I should add that before we go. Okay. Okay, Alistair Cook, a former British intelligence officer, argues in The Guardian that the word terrorist is a pejorative term. I think you've got to repeat it with a little more emphasis, Okay. Alistair Cook, former British intelligence officer, argues in The Guardian that the word terrorist is a pejorative term. Are you saying pejorative correctly or did you say pejorative wow he did it he did it <laughs> okay well it's because you it's because you asked me to listen so closely um, i was gonna say yeah it's a pejorative term <laughs> <laughs> you you got it there's no per in pejorative this, yeah are we, are we seeing that a lot then everywhere everywhere we found it in the oxford handbook of political ideologies bestsellers, A History of the World, Academic Papers, Harvard Law School, The New Scientist, Letters to the Editor. So remind me, we talked a long time ago about this sort of thing where you slip sounds in that that aren't there. We talked about elision sometimes, which I think is the opposite. But what's this called when you're slipping sounds in that shouldn't be there? It's a penthesis. Um, you add, and and it, and it's because a lot of times it's because it sounds writer to your writer. It sounds more correct to your ear. I mean, Perjorative, the per makes more sense. It's the P-E-J just doesn't look right. I think it's instinctive to add that R. Yeah, we actually looked up P-E-J words and we only found in common English pejorate, pejoration, and pejoratively, which are obviously related to it. And then we found upwards of uh, 1,000 P-E-R words. Also, pejorative sounds like perjury. So you might tend to slip in the R because it sounds like something else, which is very commonly a cause of a penthesis. It sounds better. It's something we had, we had talked to several people that you almost instinctively type. Uh, I'd noticed it myself with pejorative. I tried to type it, and this uh, this writer said she instinctively goes up with her little finger to the R to put per to put the. Oh, per interesting! In. And I think that's almost like almost like a a, a mechanical appendicitis. Precise. Well yeah. said, Fletcher. <laughs> that's fascinating that that would happen. Yeah, no, I know. I've been trying. I was actually just as we were talking, I was trying to like silently type pejorative and see if I actually did that. It makes sense that you would do that, though, because pej is like a really ugly sound in English. P-E-J. Well, I was just going to say, do you really say pejorative, though? You almost say, you almost are sort of approximating an R in there, even though there isn't one. You say are. It. I mean, like, yes. pejorative. Pejorative? Well, no, I am. I, I, don't. <laughs> I don't know I, about you guys, no, but I am. I pretty much say pejorative. Pejorative. It sounds like an R. But I can... I, <laughs> Now that I'm doing this, I can kind of understand why that might be a weird thing to type with your hands just through muscle memory, right? You're, yeah, you're far P-E-R. more used to typing P-E-R than you are P-E-J. Exactly. So even mm-hmm. even your fingers are, are doing it because they're more used to that sound. Yeah, exactly. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So we can end on that and we can go into our pajamas. For tonight's uh... <laughs> oh god you should be ashamed of yourself i'm obviating your your presence <laughs> or should i say pajamas yeah <laughs> oh
This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Seattle, Washington. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us. They're how we get more people to find us. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.